It was the first weekend in April that we began the series in Hebrews, so it has not been quite a year yet. We have one more week to go, and then we will be finished with the book of Hebrews, at least for now. So I'll just say, by the grace of God, that was a pretty speedy treatment of, of such a powerful and important book, but that's where we are. So we are finishing up. So this week... Uh, we will be here in, in chapter 13, one more week there. Following that, we're going to begin a really uh, a different series, and I want to encourage you, please, to make sure you're here for that. We need you engaged and ready to go for this. It's called The Story-Formed Way, and very much like if you've gone through an Old Testament survey course or a New Testament survey course, it will be slightly different. We are going to cover massive amounts of the Bible in 10 weeks. Our goal would be actually to finish the entire Bible in 10 weeks. We, we can do that. Some of you are laughing, but we can do that. We can. All right. The only way to do that, though, is not to read every verse like right out of the Bible. Instead, we're going to use some very tried and true, developed by um, uh, New Tribes Missions. There are some of the key stories that summarize the Bible. All right. And uh, it's very interactive. I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons, one of the benefits of this is this has been very powerfully used around our world. These same exact stories are what Corey and Katie will take when they are working with Muslims in Senegal. These are the same stories. They're summations. They pull together all of the stories of the Bible in 10 weeks so that we can get a good picture of what the story of the Bible is. It, it is the creation, fall, redemption, new creation storyline that is pictured over here on this wall. Okay, So we're going to cover that in 10 weeks. Here's a couple of things that I need for you to know about it. Number one, our goal is we want you to be reading along with us. So we're going to post on the blog and through emails where you can go to be reading in Scripture that week. So you have homework. Okay, You have homework to get ready for church. Not just me having homework, but you have homework to do. Okay, So we want you to read. We want you to be reading in God's Word throughout that week so that you know, oh, I know what verses those are. I want you to know so that you're not thinking, oh, I don't, this is a story. Why, why aren't we getting into God's Word? We are getting into God's Word. But it's overview. It's 30,000 feet as we look at it, as opposed to uh, right there on the ground level. So we'll be sending those out. We'll be giving you updates so that you can track along with, with those with us. If you don't get the reading done that week, come. Come be with us. I'm also going to say this. This is a great opportunity. If you've got friends and family that you want to bring along, people who say, I don't really know what the Bible's all about. It will be unique. It will be different because we will be able to cover these key stories, but we'll also be able to dialogue on this. It'll be an opportunity to get a better picture of what the Bible's about. This is why you need to be thinking praying looking through it because we believe we wholeheartedly believe that the holy spirit works in you through you to speak to the good of this body not just me not just josh not just the elders do you believe that that means that your processing your conversation your questions are going to be valuable for other people as we go through. It will be different. It's 10 weeks long, okay? But we can all survive. We'll do okay. I promise we'll make it through. It'll be great, actually. It's going to be a, a, it's a really neat time to do this together. So I want to encourage you to be looking forward to that two weeks from now when that kicks off. All right. So today, here we are in Hebrews. And let me just draw out. We've got a lot to accomplish. We've got very little time to accomplish it in. And my stopwatch is running. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go. Okay, let's jump right into this. Jesus, help us because we need your help today to see how we can survive, how we can thrive, how we can continue on when times are tough and yet you call us to more. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week in Hebrews, we saw... You know, some amazing callings on our lives. Uh, and we saw that the way that we're supposed to live out that calling, this demands on the way that we are supposed to live, flow out of faith in, in God's promises. 
Okay, that's what we saw. So we, we saw that if we trust God and his promises, we are not going to love or live for money. And we saw that if we love and live for God's promises, if we are people who will trust and believe him at what he says, we will not defile our marriages. It's by trusting God when he says that he won't leave us or forsake us that we can continue to show love to the brothers and sisters in this body, even though at times they may not make it easy for us. It is by trusting, it is by faith, it is by believing God that even though we understand that bringing, inviting absolute strangers into our homes causes us tension. It's going to upend the schedule. It's going to be difficult for us. But even though we know that, we can do it because we believe what God says. We do it by faith. And it's when we believe God and when we take Him at His word, when He says that He will be our helper, that we can actually open our hearts to prisoners. Not in a way that just says, oh, I feel bad for you, but in a way that actually says, I'm with you. That's what we saw last week. So this week, it gets easier, right? All right, did did you hear the Scripture reading today? Did did you catch some of the stuff that's in there? Essentially, what I want to help us see is that we've got a calling. Every single one of us got a calling. We want to look through what our call is. And then we're going to say, well, how in the world can we do that? We're not going to go through the passage just from beginning to end. We will hit all the verses, but we're going to start out there in verse 13 through 16 to draw this out for us. So let's, let's just review this. Look down at verse 13. He says, therefore, because of all the stuff that happens in this earlier section, all right, that we're going to jump into in a second. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Woohoo! Yay! I love this stuff, right? Don't you? What kind of approach, reproach did Jesus face? He kind of died. Right? I think so. It's, it's, it's historical. It's factual. It's proven. It's real. Jesus died. That's the level of reproach that he bore outside the camp, is it not? And what's our calling? What's the calling for American Christians? Is it, is it to show up for good programs? To comfortable places where we can feel, you know, warmed and welcomed and, and, and like this is all going our, our way? Is that what's in the passage? Not at all. Now, now, listen, I'm not, I'm not unsympathetic. And our, our pastor here is not either. Because what does he know about where these people are at? He knows that these people are so deeply shaken. They have been hurt so deeply, pained. That they are at the edge of thinking maybe it would be better for us just to walk away from all of this. So please keep that in mind. This is not someone who does not care. This is not someone who's sitting there going, oh, you guys, you know, you're all like, you you got swagger, you know. You guys got, you got style. You guys are, are just egoed, ready to go. You're ready to take on the world. You're 18. You know, he's not he's not thinking that way. Instead, he's going, wow, you guys have been touched by pain so deeply that you've become reticent about what is going to happen in the future. And yet he calls them to this. He says, we need to go outside. Now, maybe I'm misreading this. So let's read a little bit more. Let's go on to verse 14. He says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that's to come. Huh, that's in keeping with what we just read, isn't it? Your home is not really your home. It's not your permanent place of residence. You've got a bigger home. A more lasting home. Again, maybe I'm stretching it. Let's see. Verse 15. Instead, through him then, because of Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Notice this verbal calling. 
this ability to sit there and say, no matter where I am, no matter what pain I'm walking through, the calling is to sit there and say, oh, Jesus is my life. That's the calling he's laying on to them. And the result of that, verse 16, just to tie this all together again, look at what he's saying, calling. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let let me just pull this together. Essentially, what we've seen so far in the book of Hebrews is this. This is kind of the calling that he's saying to them. It's a great book because it's very practical. It's It's very there. Essentially, it's whatever you see, wherever you see a need, wherever there's a problem that's drawn to your attention, go tell it to your pastor. Is that the passage? Is that the calling? Oh, oh no. If you see a need, if you see something wrong, if you see something that's not being done, if, if, there's, a, if there's something here that's not being taken care of, talk to other people and complain. Is, is that the calling of the book of Hebrews? No. Essentially, the book of Hebrews is sitting there saying, if you see a need, if you see something that needs to be taken care of, you do it. You do it. There's trash on the floor. Oh, let me get that. There's a need over here. Look, there's somebody who's homeless. There's a stranger. Pastor here's saying, hey, if you saw that, if God pointed that out to you, why don't you take care of that? Oh, man, we we could be more friendly if we just thought through how to do this. Why don't you do that? There's this calling. It's massive. It's weighty. I want us to understand. I want us to see this. Every Christian has a calling on their life. Not just pastors. Not just church planters. Sometimes people feel called to be a doctor, right? And sometimes we think of that. But but what the book of Hebrews and what all the Scripture is calling us to is to say every single one of us is called to a ministry. Every single one of us has a calling on our life. Every single one of us is called to be a minister. Not that all of us feel capable. But all of us. All of us are called. All of us are called. So the question today is how do we do do this? How How do we move forward in this? Because that's a little daunting, isn't it? Amen? I mean, I know we want to look brave right now. I know, I know, or or just really tired. I'm not sure which one it is, but I'm going to go with brave because I know you guys. I'm going to believe brave is what's is what's going in, and it's that, yeah, I want to do that. But the minute we start to think through it, we go, well, that's weighty. There's not a lot of extra money left in our budget. I don't know how we could help somebody in need. There's no time left in our schedule. I don't know how we can help. Do you know the pain that I received the last time I helped somebody in that situation? I have been scarred. And that's realistic. That's realistic for for these guys, isn't it, in Hebrews? They've been pained. They could easily say, I've been scarred. And yet the pastor's not backing off. He's saying, this is your calling. Even if no one else is doing it, you do it. You share your faith with the people that you know. You pray for your community. And he doesn't even necessarily call them to say, hey, start big ministries where everyone else can do it. What, what does he start with? You do it. So here's a question. What's your calling? What's your calling? If that's true, have you ever sat through it and looked at it? Joel mentioned it. We are not a programmatic church. We have programs. There's no question about that. But we see programs as things that the vine grows on as opposed to the thing that we're made to build. We're not in the, in the business of building trellises for vines to grow on so that we can have the nicest looking you know, 
programs. Instead, we're sitting there going, man, we'll put trellises wherever we see vines growing up. Where we see that, that happening, we'll, we've got to build some support and some structures, and those support and structures are there. But every single one of us is called to say, hey, where does God want fruit to be grown in my life? Where should I be? What has God put under my life? What is God put under your life? Do you know it? Have you identified it? Have you ever even reduced it to writing? To sit there and go, hey, this is what God's called me to do here. I may not know everything, but this I know I'm called to do. It's really important in a church like this, isn't it? Because we're not going to hold a ministry fair. Where we sit there and go, hey, we need 10 people to sign up for youth ministry. We need 10 people to sign up. Those aren't bad things. But being a place where we're saying, hey, you minister where you see it here. Inside your missional community, your missional community, you guys are going to find the places where you're going to, instead of signing people up to big programs, what we're saying is we're going to find um, organically where God is leading us and we're going to take root in those places. And so much of it's going to happen in places that you don't see. Okay, how do we do that? How how do we keep carrying this out? People have told us we're crazy for doing ministry this way because people won't do what you want them to do. They'll only do what you inspect. They'll only do what you command of them. They'll, you have to build structures around them. They, they think lowly of your responsiveness and responsibility where we think very highly. We are thankful to God for the way that you guys function. That's why there's so many things that are going on that we have to try and highlight them once in a while. Otherwise, you won't hear about it necessarily. Well, let me just point something really critical because there's one other component. We've been following this track now for seven years. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. But really, two weeks from now, two weeks from now, it'll be seven years since we've made an important transition. Okay? And... um, We've been following this as elders, as leaders. We've been following this. And we spent really the first seven years trying to just make sure that, that what we do, what we preach, what we teach, where we go is gospel-driven, is Jesus-driven. The answer to every question, every need that we really, really have in the deepest part of us is going to go back to Jesus every time. He is the Savior. He's the professional Savior. We let Him do that. So let me just summarize. We used these illustrations last week. Let me summarize real quickly. There's two graphics that I want to show you. Uh, The first one, we're going to call that the performance-centered focus. And what this does is inside of our churches and inside of our own hearts, some of us grew up with this. This is what we really know. And it's it's about the idea that I grew up in a a performance-driven mindset. And what would happen to me was, even though I grew up in the church, the idea was, hey, You use your abilities to glorify God. You use your brain. You lean on your heart. You lean on your skills. And the idea is to be successful. God will like me if I'm successful, if I work hard, if I dedicate myself to this. The opposite of this is if I fail, you know, if I fall into sin, if I if I if I'm not willing to follow God, what do I do? I go back and I say, oh, man, I got to trust in my abilities again. I got to get back to this. So the key words of what I would say summarize this with are obedience and repentance. This is the Christian life lived by obedience and repentance. I obey, I obey, I obey, and then if I really get bad, then I repent. And everything gets built up around that structure. Hey, preaching, let's tell you what you need to do. Let's tell you what you need to do. This is what God's calling you to do. And everything turns out to obedience, 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 and then if you blow it, repent, and then start obeying again. It's about success and I rest where I find my life when I, when I look back at the end of the day and I have to justify my existence and think, wow, what am I living for? I, 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 I have to turn back and go, okay, it's my abilities, it's my strengths. That's what's going to carry me through the day. And a lot of us grew up in church that way where Christianity, Jesus was presented very much this way. And I got to say, it's not very far from the truth because our Christians called to obey. Okay. Are Christians called to obey? Absolutely. Okay. Are Christians called to repent? Yes, absolutely. But let's look at this second one. 
not the performance center, but really the gospel centered. Instead, gospel, you know, spirit empowered life flows out of my calling is to worship God, not to succeed. That's what I was made for. And where do I rest? Where do I find my life? Where do I where do I turn back to? I turn back to my identity about who I am in Christ. I don't turn back to my abilities to make things happen for me. Instead, I turn back to finding my identity about this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is who I am in Christ. These are two distinctly different ways to approach our faith. So if the key words for the other one were obedience and repentance, the key words for this are faith, repentance, and obedience. The key part of this is faith. Now, I know that that faith is going to struggle at times, so I repent, but I repent a lot. And when I repent, what does that turn into? Obedience. It's not that the previous one sat there and said, okay, this is for serious Christians. This is for Christians who are going to obey. And this system here, you're talking about faith. That kind of sounds like, you know, heady. You know, that sounds kind of like heartfelt. So, so this is the one that doesn't produce anything, and the other one really produces things. This is for people who, who like to talk about Jesus but don't want to do anything, and the other one is about people who like to do something. That's not true. This one sits there, the gospel-centered life sits there and goes, I'm going to produce. In fact, it calls you to a higher level than you ever thought you could under the performance mindset. The danger is that inside of our churches, it's easy for me for our elders to fall in this trap of going, hey, you know what? You guys tend to like it when we say, this is what we want you to do. And it's easier for us. Because then what I have to preach? I just have to preach, this is what you're supposed to do. It's motivating. It's also prideful. Performance-driven? What's the end result? Not the worship of God. As subtle as it is, the, the end goal, performance-driven, is the worship of me. Because I can look and say, I have worked harder than you. Do you see the difference here? We, we've been tracking this, trying to learn this, trying to grow through this for the last seven years, trying to keep that gospel stream clear so that it's the it's the gospel that's flowing into our roots and then the the product the obedience that flows out of us is the fruit that grows up out of this tree that that you know it again this is one of our favorite pictures but you know it's leaves its branches go up into the sky it, it, it it's focused on the sun it finds its life there its roots go down deep into the gospel and it finds its life there and what begins to happen on that tree if it's healthy fruit shows up good fruit obedience the first one the the performance centered is about doing this is about being critically important critically different and this is the direction we need to continue to go for the next you know next seven years amen now, I know for some of us, we sit there and go, I still don't get it. That's okay. We're just going to keep preaching this. But what I see is more and more and more of us are finding life. More and more and more of us are finding joy in who Jesus is for us. When somebody sits there and says, wow, I'm struggling here, we don't just sit there and say, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Instead, there's people who are bringing the gospel to them to say, this is what God promises to for you to be for you let me remind you of who god says he is for you as a result of that then what do you need to do we're growing in that and i'm excited there's massive growth it's encouraging growth it's healthy growth it's exciting to see what god's doing around here 
But we're going to need that, aren't we? When we face pain, when we face difficulty, when things are tight, budgets are tight, when we don't know how to move forward in, in some of these relationships that we're in, when we don't know how we're going to make it through with these kids, you know, when we don't know how we're going to do it with, with college loans or, or other things like that, we need to know who God is. And I want to show you that from this passage today. Because this calling today, let me just restate it, is so high, none of us can live up to it. None. If you want to go for performance, you are going to have to lie to yourself. That is just the bottom line. If you want to try and go on this, I mean, tell me, tell me honestly, have you really sat there and said, I have not neglected to do good or to share what I have? You have to lie. You may sit there and go, I'm a very generous person. You don't know how generous I am. That's true. But none of us have pursued this the way that we can say, oh man, I'm on Jesus' level here. And if you go for performance, that's where you have to get to. But instead, what we're going to find out is, wow, we are supposed to worship God, find our identity in Him, and that's going to free us to be able to live this way, to be able to give this way, to be able to give our lives away for others because that's what we're called to do as Christians. Not to conserve them, not to keep them for ourselves. Instead, we are called to give our lives away. To become servants. So that's what we're doing. All right. How can we do that? How can we do it? Let's just look at this. Two things that he gives us inside of this passage. The first one beginning at verse 9. Verse 9. Interesting, because if you look at the passage at first, I was looking at it and going, wow, I don't know how this all ties together. It seems like this mishmash of stuff, and there's instead a really clear purpose as we go through this. But he says in verse 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. That's another gospel. Diverse and strange teaching. We're going to find out in a second what this diverse and strange teaching was, but it's one illustration of this. But he says, Don't be led away by diverse and strange teaching. For, because it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So there's this strange teaching that has kind of shown up inside of there. And what, what do you think it's about? Again, just look, you know, if you look in there, I love what Josh has kind of been pointing people to. You ask people a question, right? And everybody goes, you're like, well, no, it's actually in there. Yeah, open book. So look at it down there. What word is in that verse? Food. So there's some strange teaching about food. We like food. We're Baptists, right? Food's good. But there was some sort of a strange teaching when it had begun to rise to the level of the gospel where people said, if you want your soul to be well, what do you have to do? You have to eat this. We don't know. We don't know what it was that they were saying. But we've seen some of the same types of things in our day and age, haven't we? You have to fast this much. Or you have to eat fruits and vegetables. Or you have to do this. You know? and, and there's there's things that are wise inside of all this, but there was something in here that actually had risen to another level, and it began to be, if you really want to be spiritual, spiritual people eat this. So, so that's the issue here. But what does he say instead? He says, don't eat food to take care of your soul. What do we need? He says, it is what? It is good for the heart to be strengthened by what? By grace. Where does your soul find its strength? It's in the grace of God. I mean, don't you want that? Don't you want to have a soul that's resilient? He's not talking about your, your ticker here, because, you know, we need to eat differently for most of us, right? To take care of that little, you know, the muscle thing here. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the muscle. He's talking about the soul. He's talking about the inner you. He's talking about the real you. And he's saying that needs to be nourished not by some special diet, not by some special course or program. That's not what it needs. What does it need? It needs grace. And, and let's just see how this all ties through here. There was something that was alien about this, okay? He says, um, he says, so don't go there. Instead, 
Then in verse 10, all of a sudden he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And, and for us, we're going, what? I don't know how we just went from food to this altar, but, but we, we can see some tie-in, can't we? What was this altar? Well, bottom line, it probably was he's thinking of the priests who had heard about Jesus but rejected Jesus as the given Messiah, as the sacrifice for their sins, the one atoning sacrifice that we read about in chapter 9, the once and for all sacrifice. And they decided instead, we're going to continue to offer lambs and animals as sacrifices instead. So they rejected Jesus. That's the picture. They don't have the right to eat at this altar. Which altar? The cross. So there's a group of people here who are very religious, very dedicated, but they don't have the right to eat from Jesus because they've rejected him. That, that's what he's talking about here. He says, we have this altar, okay? Then th- that gets us thinking questions. Well, why is he talking about eating and about priests? Well, what did priests do with the food that was offered up as a sacrifice? They ate it. It was God-given. God gave him this. God said, hey, one of the ways I'm going to supply for you is as people bring these sacrifices, you get the shoulder. You get to eat this. In fact, you have to eat all of it. It's important for you because it's holy. And I'm showing you, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you, priests. Since you have no livelihood, I'm going to provide for you through this way. He says, but they don't have the right to eat from Jesus. But verse 11 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice from sin are burned outside the camp. Again, we're looking at going, what? What, What's he talking about? Well, here's what he's talking about. The Day of Atonement, right? And on the Day of Atonement, what happened? The priest would go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. It happened once a year, only once a year. And one priest was selected to go into the Holy of Holies and offer this sacrifice. What did you do with the meat that was left over from that sacrifice? You bring a bull and you bring a goat. There was another goat, right? What happened to that goat? Yeah, he was a scapegoat, right? He illustrated the fact that those sins were gone and he was released. But there was a bull and there was a goat that would die. And what did they do with the meat from that? They burned it. No one was allowed to eat that meat. Why? Because the symbol was for us to understand, you know what, it's totally about grace today. This isn't even provision for you, priests. The provision that you get out of this is forgiveness. You get grace. That's what you get out of this. So what he's saying here is the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought in the holy places on, on the Day of Atonement by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The reason they can't eat from this is because they don't believe that once for all, the high priest came and offered a sacrifice that never has to be offered again. That there is so much grace, there is so much forgiveness And what he's saying to them is, you guys should eat grace. You need to feast on grace. Don't be like these priests who rejected it. Instead, feast on grace. Eat grace. How do you do that? How do you do that? We wake up in the morning. What do we think? I need some nourishment. So what do I think? For me, it tends to be a box of cereal, right? You go down and get a little cereal, and you think, I need food. What do they even say about your health? Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? Can't skip breakfast. But what are we supposed to do? More important for us to feed on God's grace. When I wake up in the morning, what do I really need? (laughs) Coffee, nice, thanks. He's simply illustrating the wrong answer. (laughs) You and I need grace. Because do I feel loved and accepted by God at that moment? 
Do I feel like the biggest thing that I need in my life at that moment is a God who would sacrifice Himself so that I could be made right with Him? No, that's not what I feel. I mean, I might feel self-justified. Or I might wake up loathing myself because I know what sin I gave into. Because I know what word I spoke to that person. Because I know that God called me to do something and I, re- I resisted Him. I didn't want to do it, so I, I walked away from it. And I wake up hurting and broken and, and, and thinking to myself, God can't accept me. Now at that moment, do I need someone to come back to my abilities and say, okay, well, just get back up, put your boots on, and, and go forward, and now, today, work harder. No. What I need is to go find out about the grace of God, how Jesus is and did for me what I can't do for myself, and I need that to come and flow into my life. And when I see that, what am I going to do? I'm going to repent. And then when I repent, what am I going to do? I'm going to obey. Not because I'm trying to earn God's love, but because I am so loved that now I can freely do this. That's the call of the gospel in your life. That's what he's pointing to inside of this passage. He's saying, you and I need to feed on grace. Our souls were made to feed on the grace of God. I need to hear about who God is, what he's done, and who I am in Christ. Not what I need to do. Not first. So let me show you the second part of this passage because it's so ingenious the way that, that this pastor put this together. The first way that we're going to be able to be empowered to live this kind of life of sacrifice with Jesus as, the de- as, that, as that goat whose, whose life has been burned up outside to be consumed outside the gate and we're supposed to go with Him, the first way we're going to do that is by living, feeding, eating, drinking, hearing, and speaking to others' grace to see what, who God is. The second way we're going to do it is by following our leaders. Now, this is going to sound self-serving, so stay with me. I didn't write this. God did. I have to preach it. Look at verse 7. Where did he start in this? He said, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider, consider the way they lived their lives. Is that what it says? No, there's, a, there's an important difference. Isn't there? Consider what? The outcome of their faith. Not their performance. Don't look at their performance and their abilities and sit there and say, if I had abilities like that, I would do it. Instead, he says, look at your leaders. Think about your leaders and what should you imitate about your leaders. You should imitate their faith. You should imitate the way that they worship God. You should imitate the way that they found, they fought to find their identity and what Jesus said about them instead of what they felt. That's what we should imitate about them. Now, it gets a little stickier because if you drop down then to verse 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. (laughs) You're kidding me, right? You're really going to go there? We're going to do this? Really? Okay. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Oh man, this feels like performance, doesn't it? They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Ah, oh, now you got an arm bar on me. You know, now I have to do what you tell me to do because you're going to give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You can take this from a performance standpoint, can't you? All right. All right, I'll do what you tell me to do. I won't like it. I'll do it. All right? Yeah, go ahead, man. Come on, preacher, man. Tell me what to do. Is that, is that grace-driven? 
No. Even all the words in here are grace-driven. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's incredible. He tells them to emulate their faith. The translation here is, is, kind of pub- is puzzling for us because most of the 20th century English translations say, like this does, obey your leaders. But the word here, obey, is different from the word that speaks of obedience. In fact, if you look back at chapter 5, verse 9, there's a different word used for obey there. Okay, we, you, you don't need to flip back there, but if you went back to chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. It's a different word. Obey here means put your confidence in. To trust. And by implication, because you trust someone or are confident in that person, you do what he says. It's more the word, be persuaded by your leaders. Be persuaded by them. Be persuaded by Don. Be persuaded by Scott. This has some big implications. In fact, in the, in the same words used in verse 18, where he says, pray for us, for we are sure. It's exactly the same word. Obey and we're sure that we have a clear conscience. Because those two are so close together, we sit there and go again. He's not just saying, do what they say, performance. Instead, he's saying, be persuaded. We're sure. Be sure about this. And what he's saying is we should listen to our leaders. We should let them persuade us. We should let our leaders speak God's word to us. We should let them teach us so that we get such confidence in God's word that we would do what it says. This is not this abject authority where I can walk up and say, hey, this is what you need to do. Instead, it's the ability to come and say, this is what God's word says. This is what God's word says. For your situation. We obey our elders. We obey our missional community leaders. We obey our teachers. Why? Because they're going to persuade us from God's word. Paul Benware wrote, Leadership authority in the church then is the power granted to men to lead the flock of God according to the word of God, guiding, protecting, and feeding them for their benefit and God's glory. This kind of leadership authority will persuade believers from the Scriptures, resulting in obedience and submission to Christ, the one and only head of the church. Ultimately, pastoral ministry centers on Christ and His message, not on the pastor and his role as a messenger. So to obey and to submit to our pastors is a call to esteem and respect and obey the word of God. And this is why it can be said what Mark Lauterbach wrote. An elder with no Bible is an elder with no authority. Amen. Now, don't you see how, isn't this cool? Because what was it he said in, in, in verse, um, ah, I turned pages here. Um, what, what was it he said there in, in uh, verse 9? Don't be led astray by strange or alien teaching huh what are elders going to do what are what are our leaders going to do they're going to help us stay on track because their authority is simply the word of god and they bring us they convince us they help us to see what god says in his word they point us back to truth and what's that truth going to point us to it's going to help us to feed our hearts and our souls on grace And as we continue to do that, what's going to happen? We're going to continue to grow. How does he even demonstrate this in the passage? Have you wondered that? Because here he is telling them what to do. Look at verse 8. Look at what he builds on. (laughs) Between listening to your leaders and feeding your soul on grace, what does he tell them? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. And forever. Guys, I've got truth for you. 
The same Jesus who was compassionate when you needed Him. When you came to Him in your brokenness and your neediness. Guess what? He's the same Jesus. He didn't walk away from you. He is filled with compassion and grace for whatever mess you find yourself in today. When you needed help and you couldn't help yourself and you turned to Him and said, please help me. When you're going through a transition of ministry and you're leaving one ministry that you love and people that you love and you're going to another place, won't He turn to Nick and Christy at that point and say, you know what, I'm not different. I'm the same God. (laughs) And I will help you. When you went to Cornell, you didn't know what you were doing. Right? And guess what he's saying now? You know what, Nick? I love you just as much now. And it's not based on your ability to know how to handle all of this. I haven't changed. Jesus is telling you, wherever you are at, whatever you are struggling with, He hasn't changed His mind about you. He hasn't decided to suddenly not do good for you. He loves you. He hasn't changed. That's how our pastor's coming at this. So really, the job of elders primarily is to help you persevere in the faith and be saved. And and since perseverance, as we've seen through the book of Hebrews, is at stake every single day, the aim of leadership is not simply to get decisions for Jesus on this end of it, but it's to teach and encourage and strengthen and admonish professing Christians not to shrink back to destruction, but to have faith for the persevering of their souls. One or two questions. Are you feeding your soul on grace? I mean, if it came down to a judgment call this morning, did we look up and go, God, I don't have time for your word. I had to eat. Or we allow God to begin to restructure. God, I don't have time not to be in your word. I don't have time not to have you speak that into my life. So where, where's, where's that focus going to be? And what do we do with it? Do we redouble our efforts and think, boy, I'm strong, I can do... No, no, we go back to say, this is who God is for me. And I, and I turn to Him and I say, God, help me, please. Can you, can you help someone like me? It's been a hundred times that I've said, Jesus, would you please help me spend time in Your Word and love You and know You. And has He changed? Nope. On the hundred and first time, does He still hear You and love You? Here's the second question. Are you teachable? I mean, just let that settle for a second. Or do you know it all? Maybe today you're preaching a sermon back to me. Are you teachable? In no way am I promising that we've done this super well. But I promise you this has been our driving heart and soul as a church body has been to say, even if we make some mistakes, man, we want to try and learn how to point you back to feeding your soul on Jesus and letting Him be the Savior of your life. And we will not settle for that position. We may not have super great... um, vision drawn out so that everyone can go whoa yeah and obviously we're not really high tech on all the graphics side of here creating this super comfortable and elaborate you know stage we go whoa something's happening here we're not the greatest communicators not the greatest organizers we've got a lot of a lot of places we'd love to grow in but the one beating heartbeat that we have had the one thing that has driven us and will continue to drive us is to learn how 
to point your soul back to Jesus. How to do that for each other. And if that's what we want, we're going to keep working on that together. We're calling you to do that with each other. Probably not going to be pretty. (laughs) Probably not going to get in any magazines anytime, (laughs) except for maybe messiest process ever. But it's the only place we can go. Can I be honest with you? There's times on Mondays where I just think to myself, you know what, I'd like to just give people what they want. Make them happy. Just go back to church as usual. Run a couple good programs. Preach a 30-minute sermon. You know, make sure there's always some great new musical thing to add to this and, and just do that. It seems to make a lot of people happy. But I just don't see any biblical way I can go anywhere else than where we're going. And that's messy. It's hard to learn. But that's where we're headed. So I appreciate you guys that are growing in this and loving this and rejoicing in this. Especially the times when you come to me and, and, and I hear you just worshiping God. Are you teachable? Or do you know it all? It's a pretty challenging area. You know what I love though? God loves to help us even when we're not teachable. <laughs> he takes unteachable people, he makes them really teachable. And then he sends them out as missionaries and, and, and all over the place. It's awesome. Think of the Apostle Paul. Lord, please help us. Thank you uh, for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for loving us. I thank you that you have not changed in your compassion for us. And I just pray that as a body, you would help us to feed our souls on your grace, to know you and not what's happening on TV. Uh, Not that we don't have any idea what's on TV, but Lord, that our first heart and desire would be to know you and find out how you are the answer to everything we've ever hoped or dreamed for. So God, we're asking you to do it to us. Not even to be polite. We're just asking you to do that to us today. In Jesus' name we pray.